news and welcome once again to the ebook revolution podcast if you haven't listened before i talk to writers about the art and business of writing we have fun and i hope you have some fun listening too although i know right now these aren't fun times are they we're all looking for some distractions maybe that's how you found this podcast stay listening because i've got a great show for you today with um, writer Rick Samada, but more about him soon. How are you? Hunkered down? Staying safe? These are strange times, and I don't, don't need to tell you that. I know I've got a lot of listeners in America, and I'm horrified at the news I'm seeing for you all. But we're here with you, we're thinking about you, we're in this together, and together we're going to find a way out and a cure for this awful disease. These are temporary times. Trying times, sure, but it's not going to last. We'll get to the other other side. It's um, doubly weird being Australian. I live in the state of New South Wales, and um, for my American friends, that's where Sydney's located. And we just came through the most horrific bushfires we've ever seen unprecedented um things were just getting back to normal and now this uh coronavirus thing has sent us all to our rooms (laughs) and uh i don't know about you but you know what i miss the most it's live music i just love seeing and listening to music being played i play a bit myself and a few weeks back um the biggest blue festival in Australia was cancelled, the Byron Bay Blues Fest. And when that happened, I knew this was getting real serious. And now all clubs and bars and venues are closed. And the music has died. And I'm sure it's the same wherever you are listening to this at the moment. But it's great to see people getting creative and uh, organising live streaming shows I think that's what happens, isn't it? When times are tough, people get creative with solutions. Anyway, this is the uh, first podcast I put up for quite a while, for quite a few months. Last year I travelled to the Ubud Writers Festival in Bali, Indonesia. It's one of the world's great literary festivals and in a very beautiful location. I went to Bali specifically to interview uh, writers for this podcast And uh, I got one episode post-produced back in December and put it up for you. And if you haven't heard it yet, you can check it out on the podcast page, (laughs) www.ebookrevolutionpodcast.com. A bit of a self-plug there. Truth is that the uh, catastrophic fires in my home state really made it difficult to focus on anything, really. Right here in Port Macquarie, where I live, it was particularly frightening and End of days. It seems so long ago. So I guess I've had a bit of a hiatus. Now this virus comes along and suddenly I've got all the time in the world, like all of us, eh? How's your quarantine going? Keeping busy is the key to it, otherwise every day will blend and blur in your groundhog day fog. Don't let that happen. This episode of the ebook Revolution podcast is brought to you by Madhouse Media Publishing. Are you thinking of self-publishing a book? Are you overwhelmed with a self-part? 
In this do-it-yourself world, you can do it yourself, but it doesn't mean you should. Madhouse Media Publishing can get your dream project published with editing, cover design, book layout, ebook or print on demand conversion, writer's platform development, and launch and marketing strategies. They'll make your book look great and give you time to concentrate on what you do best, which is writing. Head over to www.madhousemedia.com.au and you can schedule a free pre-publishing consultation today. It just may change your life. Okay, let's get on with the show. Today I'm talking to writer, actor, journalist and broadcaster Rick Samada. Rick writes the weekly kitchen tech column, Inspector Gadget, for the Guardian newspaper in the UK. He writes features and interviews across the Guardian and the Observer, as well as other publications, including Men's Health and Prospect. As an actor, he has worked for the Royal Shakespeare Company, BBC, Home Box Office and ITV, among others. And as a broadcaster, he has appeared as a guest on the Saturday show, Channel 5 and Radio 4's Today program. He recently presented How to Retire at 40 alongside Anna Richardson and Sophie Morgan for Channel 4. Rick's most recent book is the Sunday Times bestseller, I Never Said I Loved You, which is the most honest and hilarious memoir I've ever read. It's up there with Clive James' unreliable memoirs, in my view. It's an excruciatingly honest meditation on living with depression and how Rick overcame it. Don't take my word for it, though. Here's a snippet from the Sunday Times Review. I Never Said I Love You was one of the most electric, enchanting, engrossing and energising memoirs of self-harm, self-loathing, grief, eating disorders, suicide and sex that you will ever read. <laughs> and it is. I spoke to Rick at the 2019 Ubud Writers' Festival last October, where he was a guest speaker. Congratulations on I Never Said I Loved You. You've written a very personal account of uh, grappling with depression. One review I said that the book is a boy on troubled water, indecently entertaining. Uh, I think it was one of your colleagues. <laughs> the Guardian. Uh, no, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, nothing to do with that. <laughs> Are you surprised you seem to have reinvigorated the autobiography slash memoir format with your first book? Um... I always try and do things differently. And it, so it's what I wanted to do, but it doesn't come from a place of like real chutzpah or kind of self-belief. It comes from the fact that I never feel like I belong in any of the fields I end up working in. So whether it's acting, you know, I'll do a, a job where it's, it's so unlike other jobs that are out there, it's kind of weird. Or if it's in journalism, I'll do a column about you know, kitchen gadgets, something that shouldn't have a column written about it, and I'll write it in a way that is odd and sort of doesn't quite fit. It's quite amusing. Yes, exactly. And I love that idea of things not quite fitting and being out of place, because that's how I feel all the time. So I, I guessed it would kind of be the same with a book, if I got to do a book. And I, I'm, I'm glad that it's sort of landed with people and appreciate it, because, yeah, I don't think I could write things in a convention. Yeah, in, embarrassing mothers are big part of the book and it's something we can all relate to. Mm, so rich mine, mine's 
<laughs> was very embarrassing. <laughs> um, your mother is such a larger-than-life character in the book. Mm. I've, I've read um, about a quarter of it, so I, I bought a copy. I'll finish it off. But um, do you think if you didn't write about it, you'd need to do Inventor as a character? I honestly couldn't. Uh, she's so much more eccentric in real life than I've managed to convey on the page. Uh, I've, I think you can only draw from the aspects of a person that are the most relatable to other people, the most obvious in some ways. And so that's what I've done with her, but she's so much stranger in real life in ways that would just, would not, would just be too inexplicable um, to other people. So uh, I'm so proud of her and happy that she's in my life and has shown me that it's possible to, to live a life being an odd person and actually it can be full of meaning and joy and you can be generous to other people and people will love you for those same qualities. And I also know that I can never invent someone as Coco as her. She's just got the oddest personality. Yeah, which anyone I think that will read, will read the book will, will discover that. But yeah, my powers of imagination cannot match the reality of her actual being. How did, how did she react to the book? She was actually wonderful because there's really powerful, there's sort of dark, difficult subject matter in the book. Mm, yeah. We had to have difficult conversations mm. as part of it. And she's been so supportive and loving and generous in her reaction. And you know, she talked about things that come at a cost for her and that are difficult for her. And it's uh, and she she was such a good, smart reviewer as well. She talked. She really picked up on the the lyricism of the language as well as the the humour of it. She really kind of appreciated those things. So it wasn't just a kind of pap sentimental kind of a pan loving, responsive, oh, I'm so proud of you, love you, and I it's really proper feedback and it's proper support, and she, I know that she goes out and tells people all about, all about the book and is proud of me, and it's just been the most wonderful, healing thing for me to strengthen that relationship with her. You're, of course, a columnist for The Guardian, or were, mm. um, and an actor. Do you think this book would have been different without those influences? Yes, because I would have been different, so it wouldn't have, I mean, it wouldn't have existed. Yeah, coming from disparate backgrounds, I think, is really undervalued or perhaps underexplored in a world where you're encouraged to choose a path earlier and earlier and excel in it and just really be goal-oriented. And I was never goal-oriented. I was just I was happy to let life blow me around whichever path it, it wanted to, and actually that's been so enriching to me as a person. And now, all those times that I thought, I don't have a path through life, I'm not doing the thing that you know, I'm meant to, I don't know what I'm meant to be doing. Having that strange, circuitous path rather than the straight line means I have so much more breadth of experience to draw on. Um, even if just for myself in my relationships, not just my work, but it does affect that too. So, yeah, recommended. Don't have goals. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know what I want to do. Great, well, <laughs> always trying to find out. In your upstairs session just just uh, now, you talked about writing almost 30,000 words in one month when you were working on the book as a kind of madness, um, which I found interesting. Kind of madness, so enjoyable, I think was the quote. Do you think it's the only way that a book like this could have been written, to have that intense focus locking yourself away like that? I think so, yeah. I think it's, yeah, you sort of have to, it's like a, a religious, religious initiation of some kind, you have to go to a, 
a hut and have the smoke envelop you and just emerge as a different person. It needs that intensity and that sort of pressure of atmosphere to really to have the words come out with the intensity and the feeling that they, they deserve. Um, but also, it was so hard for me, I'm quite lazy. I, mean, I know writers that do 50,000 words in a month. Uh, it just depends on how long you're kind of natural productivity, I guess. But for me, who's used to doing 1,050 in a month, you know, I am genuinely very lazy. Uh, it, was such an, it was such an extraordinary experience, but it's good to discover those aspects of yourself and discover new abilities to push yourself. So actually, it wasn't really enjoyable, it was horrific. But I discovered I could do it. And that's just as valuable as having a nice time, if not more so. No, definitely. Now that the memoir's out of the way, and you've uh, revealed yourself as a somewhat entertaining and thoughtful writer, I would say that your columns aren't entertaining <laughs> and thoughtful, um, do you have plans to write fiction? Yes, I do. I think it would be lovely to write in a free and imaginative way and work with kind of giving birth to people, I guess, because I don't really... I don't have my own family. Maybe I won't ever, I don't know, but certainly I can do it on the page and surround myself with... I sound quite mad when I say I'm going to surround myself with imaginary people for the rest of my life, but, uh, but that is what I'm going to do. Well, um, most writers I talk to talk about people talking in their ears and mm. capturing the dialogue. Yeah, you it get does like sound little, quite mad when you talk to it. You say it like that, yeah. I guess you just stop telling people. Yeah, you just get little lines of something, and then you just go, "Oh, who's, who's saying that? What does that mean? Or well, where are we?" Yeah, it's a, it's a strange quasi madness, but an enjoyable one. Yeah, I guess that state of flow is what it is. But um, that sense of not it not coming from you, I just find so yeah. mystical. Quite disturbing. But it's disturbing, but in the best way. It's like, yeah. There's a sort of mystery at the heart of this that I don't understand. And if I try and grasp it or try and direct it too much, it'll evaporate because it's not tangible in that sense. Yeah. There's this beautiful interplay between trying to access that channel and actually turn it into something, make it concrete and turn it into words and the sensitivity needed to do that. I think it's. Um, Kind of beautiful mystery that yeah, it's, it's really meaningful to me. It is a beautiful mystery. I'd like to talk a little about the process of writing. What what's your routine? What what do you need to work? A deadline, a project given to me <laughs> and a deadline. Uh, I'm so lazy and I'm so I lack the belief in my own ideas, so I never really generate things that aren't for something. So that's why I've never written before I became a journalist and I've never written creatively really for this book deal. And yeah, so for me, lacking confidence as I am, it, I really need the belief of others to start. That's, and then it's, and then you, it becomes a, a job and then it comes, you sort of galvanise and you organise yourself in such a way to allow those things that you don't necessarily allow all the time to come through. But I'm definitely not one of these people that gets up and just lets their mind flow and does morning pages and then thinks, oh, what am I interested in today? And I, I hope to get there because I think that's an amazing thing, but I, I still lack <laughs> confidence. I have a lot of empathy with it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I need a deadline as well. What, what, what advice would you give to anybody who feels compelled to write a memoir? It's an incredible thing to try and contextualise your own life. And it's a real privilege. Uh, for me, the thing that helped was to remember that it's not therapy. 
that I was hopefully doing for other people. I wanted people to read it, and so I wanted it to be readable and relatable and entertaining. No matter how dark it got, I always wanted it to be a really entertaining read. So I think that sense of knowing who you're writing for, either you're writing for you, which is a, a perfectly valid and, and wonderful thing to kind of have that more rounded sense of yourself, that's perfectly valid. But if you're doing it for other people, then have a sense of that and why would anyone else care to be brutal about it but also pragmatic. Yeah. It has to be something there for them. So those are the two pieces of advice. And, and understanding that there might be a, a cost if you're dealing with difficult subject matter. You don't know how people are going to react to it. It can be unpredictable, but it is inevitable. Uh, even if you're generous and kind as you like. So be prepared for that or just change in a lot of names and places. <laughs> Flipping that around, what, what would you say the best advice you've ever received as a writer? The best advice I've ever received as a writer remember when, before I was a writer, I was working as an admin of the, the Guardian newspaper in England, and I was interested in not being an admin because it was very low-paid and unheroic, and I was sort of surrounded by writers, and I was like, oh, that's, that's quite an interesting thing to try and become. And so I, there was an editor there, Rory Nichols, who edited The Observer magazine, he was very kind to me. I wrote something for him, it was terrible, and it was just so overwritten and abundant, and you know, most people wouldn't get past the first five words, but he was generous enough to read it through, and then he said to me, you have to, I'm trying to remember what he actually said, he said, you have to write as though your reader is hungover, and it's a Sunday morning, and they've got one eye on it at most, but the other eye is on their bacon sandwich, or the TV, or their phone, and you're competing with those things and they don't owe you their, atten their attention. Uh, and that terrifying piece of advice has, I think, stood me in quite good stead. You have to make an impact. That's wonderful advice and <clears throat> a good place to wrap it up. What, what's next for, for Rick? I guess I'll have lunch. <laughs> but in terms of my life, I also guess I'll have lunch. That's all that's standing for. Uh, I will hopefully... I'd like to write some more, I haven't discovered, but I, I enjoy parts of it. Uh, I'd like to, yeah, write fiction and try and create new people and worlds and lose myself in that a bit and maybe write things to be performed because I, I, I want to reconnect to acting in some way, even if it's not as a performer necessarily, but to be in that world where stories are embodied, I think is a wonderful thing if you can get there. So I'm interested in that. Well. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Rick, and I hope you get there and look forward to what you come up with next. Thank you so much for having me. That was Rick Samada, writer, journalist, actor, and very nice guy. If you want to order a copy of I Never Said I Love You, just go to the show notes page for the Ebook Revolution podcast at www.ebookrevolutionpodcast.com. You'll find this interview there and all the links to Rick's books and everything else if you want to find out more about Rick. Make sure while you're there to sign up for our podcast feed so you'll never miss an episode of the Ebook Revolution podcast. Well, that's it for me. I hope you're doing well. Hang in there. Have some hope. We're all in this strange time together. Be positive. And as we all hunker down together, maybe you'll find you've finally got some time to write that book you've been thinking about. Go and do it. 
treat it like a sabbatical. One final thing, there's a Patreon page for this podcast. If you could help support us, we can continue bringing this podcast to you. You can find the Patreon link on the show notes page at www.ebookrevolutionpodcast.com and for the cost of a cup of coffee a month, you can help us out. If you enjoy listening to these writers' interviews I bring you, make sure to subscribe. Okay, that's it for me. Till next time, take care, keep your social distance and wash your damn hands. Don't take anything about this virus for granted. It's real, it's everywhere. (laughs) 